I like the idea that you're going to do something with the NBA. I tell you what, can you bring AC Green down here and uh, speak at the at my son's athletic banquet? And long story short, I was able to get in touch with AC. He signed on board, but I went back to that publisher because I did my research and I'm like, you know what? Walmart is supporting me. They're willing to buy a whole bunch of books. You know what? This is The Living Numbers Podcast, and I am your host, Tony Rambles. This is the place where everyone's interesting if you ask the right questions. Of course, before we start, I got my 22, I have my four pills, 20 seconds, okay? Ready, set, go. Follow me on IG and TikTok at The Living Numbers Podcast. Merch link in the description. Subscribe to Apple and Spotify for the behind the scenes exclusive content that me and our wonderful guests just had. And we'll have a little bit more at the end, but you got to subscribe for that. And of course, share, rate, review five stars on whatever platform you listen. I think I got that in 20 seconds. So, of course, when we have somebody on for the first time, they have to get an elaborate introduction. So, hailing from Opelousas, Louisiana, our guest earned her bachelor's degree in mathematics and accounting from Southern University and a master's in education management from Texas Southern University. We got the HBCUs in the house, Jaguars and Tigers. She's a multi-time New York Times bestselling author and editor educator, producer, and social entrepreneur. The more research I did, the more questions I had, and the more I dug, it was just like a rabbit hole. So her recent publishing success includes multiple New York Times bestsellers, and she's the publisher and managing partner of One Street, Lavette Books, and JVL Ooh. Novatatis Publishing. Did I say that right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm getting ahead nod of Better approval. Me. <laughs> Entrepreneur at heart, writer, and sports enthusiast. I present the Lavelle Lavette. Say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Hey, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> me and Lavelle have been kind of chopping it up here for the past uh, 20, 30 minutes or so. And y'all are definitely in for a treat, but we got to kick it off with our first number. Now, we're going to start in 17th century Rome. Now, you may be thinking that has nothing to do with what we have going on here, but I would say it 100% does because that's where beignets originate. Aha. Go ahead. And Lavelle (laughs) is from Louisiana. So there's a ton of stuff here, like in her background and where she's from and what she does. We got to start with, I mean, she's been an investment broker. She's been a school teacher. She's been a school administrator, as you all know. Near and dear to my heart, I'm a high school teacher as well. Five years in, can't wait for the school year to be over. She's also been a special advisor to the U.S. Secretary of Education. I was like, Okay, we got big shoes here to fill. Growing up as a little girl in Louisiana, which of these roles could you see yourself doing one day? But also, which one did you eventually get to and go, I have no idea how this happened? Hmm. Growing up, strangely enough, I could see myself being a businesswoman, generic businesswoman. I didn't have a specific type of business. I just knew I wanted to be my own boss and I wanted to write my own ticket. And that's as early as I can remember, like five years old, right? 
I'm organizing. I'm starting my little business at age six, the same business that I started at age six when I became a teacher. Mm. I taught that business to my uh, second graders. So I I wanted to be a business person. What that meant, I had no idea. I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. And the second part of your question is what, how do I find myself? What what am I thinking of me being? Out of all these different roles, which one was the one where you go, I had no idea I would get to this place? I would say the entertainment. Mm. Being in publishing and working with athletes and celebrities, I did not envision that for myself. That, That was not a path that I was interested in or looking to get involved in at all. I just sort of stumbled in it and one thing led to another and another and I find myself here. But I did not plan for that. Where do you feel like that entrepreneurial spirit came from? Like, was that ever anything that you saw in someone or was it just like this innate thing that just came out of you? I had this this discussion with with my husband a couple of days ago. And I was reminded with this this discussion came up because I was back in my hometown doing a book signing for my latest book, Jalen's Juneteenth Surprise. And one of my classmates, uh, Marilyn Smith, came to the book signing. And she was, we were just, you know, chopping it up, hadn't seen each other since high school. And she was saying, you know, I, I, I kind of knew you would be doing something with your life like this. I can remember, she said, I forgot what grade she said we were in. But she said, I can remember you stuffing envelopes and you telling everybody that this was your business, some kind of envelope business that I had, right? And I was young. I know it was it was elementary school. And she reminded me of that. And I was having a discussion. I was telling my husband about the conversation I had with her. And we got into this debate. And I was like, I think I was born mm-hmm. to be an entrepreneur. I think it was just in me. And, and his argument was, no, it was your environment. And I was like, well, what environment did I have at five or six years old where the thing that I wanted to do when I went to the grocery store was get the Opportunity Magazine? And I know my parents weren't reading Opportunity Magazine, but that's what interests me. You know, you see when at the checkout, sometimes you'd have the highlight books and maybe some books for kids that would be attractive for the kid to say, hey, mommy, let's put this on the conveyor belt. But I didn't go for that. I went for the Opportunity Magazine as, as, as early as I could remember me reading. And I don't know. I just figured, I think I was just born with it. I, you know, I don't know where it came from. But I would say, I have to say that my parents are educators. Both my father was a, a, a teacher, a, head, a coach, a, a high school principal, my mother, a, a teacher, and an instructional supervisor. So I had the education uh, in my life, but my father was a businessman as well. He had a car lot, he had an insurance business, he had a construction company, he had an air conditioned business. So I Mm. saw that, the business side, plus the educational side. And what do I end up doing? Business and education. Wow. (laughs) I think that we're all, we all do have some innate, God-given ability. And when you were talking about Mm -hmm. that, it reminded me of this girl that I hope to have on my show. She's a senior this year. She's graduating. And she is, like, made to connect and entertain. Like, she is, like, the person Mm -hmm. that can get in front of anybody and feel comfortable and get them to feel comfortable. And you just never know what's going to happen from there. Uh, I first met her. Uh, she's a softball player, and she was always like this mm. bright, bubbly. Her softball was okay. Like you could tell she was athletic, but not necessarily a softball player. Uh, but then the, the next mm-hmm. year, she wasn't playing softball anymore. And I had I didn't know that she had gotten, I guess you could say, discovered by this comedian. And mm-hmm. so they do skits and stuff, and it's all over YouTube. And she had built this following. She's got. I don't know, 80 to 100,000 followers. And it's mm-hmm. just part of who she is. And I saw it firsthand in class, right, where we did, I always joke with my kids because I'm always playing music in class. 
And I was like, y'all know what a Soul Train line is. And of course, most of mm-hmm. them say no. Uh, but some of them, a lot of them that look like us, they was like, oh, yeah, we know what a Soul Train yeah. line is. And so I said, okay, if y'all do a Soul Train line, anybody that participates will get 100. You know, I'm creating buy-in in class. You know, I just need people to kind of mm-hmm. uh, get out of their skin a little bit. You know, so Savannah is one of the people that gets majority of the class. And I'm talking from the people who are like, I'm absolutely not doing this. That one kid, he was up dancing down the Soul Train line. So she just has mm-hmm. this ability, her and it was this one other kid, uh, that they just had this ability to connect with people, make them feel comfortable. And I'm sure mm-hmm. there was some nurture of that, like you were saying, like because your dad had these businesses and you probably you were in that environment, but there was also there's also some nature where there's plenty of people who are born into families that do one thing and they don't want to do that thing. They want to do something else. So mm-hmm. if you have any siblings, mm-hmm. if they're not in business, okay, well they were around the same thing. How come they didn't go into business? You know, just to kind of have that debate again, you know, with you like you and your husband had. So I think we're all kind of there's something in all of us, you know, that wants to do something specific. And for you, it was going into business. So how did you end up becoming a school teacher? Like what what made you want to go down that path besides, you know, what your parents were doing? I wanted to be an entrepreneur, mean a business person. I did not have a specific passion for a certain type mm. of business. So I went with what I knew, being around educators. I also knew that creating your own business, I never wanted to be a broke entrepreneur. And so my father taught me that you should get a base. Get your base, get your steady income, your steady job, and and work that until you're able to break away from that and that you've built your business up. And your business is generating enough income to support you and any and everything that you want to do so that you never just start off on this ledge of I'm going to start my business. And then what happens is nine times out of 10, you know, businesses fail. And so that means you're broke. And, you know, what are you going to do now? So I said, I didn't want to start that way. I said I would have a steady job and I would work my business while I was doing my steady Mm -hmm. job. Because I come from a family of educators, I actually love teaching. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to be a teacher. And while I'm teaching, when you're teaching, you have your summers off. You have your weekends off. And although it didn't really work that way because I was such a, I was so passionate about my teaching that I brought it home, right? So it's like, it never, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I teach, you, you, the bell rings three, you, you go home and you leave it there. No, you go home with papers, you go home with phone calls to parents. I, I visited homes. So it, it wasn't like, uh, I imagine it to be actually it was it was a lot better because I love the connection and I love uh, touching students and impacting lives. But I still had summers. And so I would work my various businesses and I had various ventures. I mean, some worked, mm. and some didn't work, but that was OK. You know, I had a, I had a steady gig that I enjoyed, which was teaching. And I ended up finding my passion for business while I was teaching. That's why all of the businesses that I'm involved in, there's always an educational component. Mm -hmm. There's always a community Mm -hmm. or give back. There's always something that touches kids in every venture that I create or I get involved in. And so even though I didn't know it and I couldn't identify it early on, that education, teaching, being of service to others, was my gift, my purpose, my passion, it, it eventually found me. And so and that's where I am today. So when did it start to kind of merge where you go, okay, like teaching is, is, is great, but my, my business is really starting to take off here and then like taking that first step to maybe getting out of teaching. 
Because you did become an administrator at mm-hmm. one point, right? I would, as I matured a bit, you know, in my early, early 20s, and I started what I call finding my sweet spot in education, being an administrator, uh, becoming a trainer, an instructional supervisor, where I am teaching and training other mm-hmm. teachers in addition to teaching students as well. I looked at it, uh, the educational arena, going to conferences, seeing other people that are speaking and doing paid speaking gigs to talk about the expertise that they had. And so I started developing my expertise in the reading area. Phonemic awareness is a, an, an area of research that, um, that I got really into. And so I started looking at that from the give back side of being an educa- educator but then there's the business side of that as well in consulting. I grew up in politics as well. My parents were very political. And so I was around campaigns. And so now I'm looking at, okay, I'm an educator. I'm becoming an expert in curriculum. How can I take that and be start consulting on the political side? Because most candidates, whether you're running for mayor or governor, you're going to have an educational agenda. And so part of one of my first companies was a consulting company, consulting with politicians. And actually that grew into me actually becoming a campaign manager on on certain campaigns while I was still in the school system and working as an advisor for educational issues became my business. And as that started to grow, my passion for writing started coming out. As a child, I wrote a lot. I used to get on the roof of my parents' home and write crazy poems. I fancy myself as a, I don't know, a European, some, some, someone from this faraway place that has to sit on the roof and contemplate all of these, all of these issues of the world and write about them, right? And so I did that as a child. And I didn't realize that I had a passion for writing. And so in starting to write speeches as a young kid and then being an educator and being a consultant, you do a lot of writing. And so that's just sort of morphed into that business of consulting, that business of the business of education, really. And so that sort of led me to um, writing and uh, my little brother and the, the different uh, things that my parents were, were going through with him and me as a problem solver saying, hey, send him to stay with me and I'll get him right. <laughs> and I uh, found out that he loved to play basketball and football and he couldn't stand going to school. And so I started making up these stories at night to tell him about this little rooster who loved to play basketball and football, but he also loved to read and he loved to go to school. And so from creating that character called Rooster, which he couldn't say Rooster at the time, he would say Roopster. And that's how the name of the first character and the first book that I created came about, Roopster Roo. And that came about because of my little brother. And so again, being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and still in the school mm-hmm. system, I'm figuring out, okay, how do I do this book? And uh, how do I make this work? And I started studying the publishing industry and figuring out how that works. And I'm like, oh, well, if I license a publisher to publish my work, I would maintain all of my rights and then I can branch off into other things from what I've created. And so that's how that morphed into a business of publishing and eventually me getting with the larger publisher and working out a deal with them to publish from a hybrid standpoint, because I didn't want to self-publish. I wanted that uh, I guess you call it the prestige that goes with having a real mm-hmm, publisher, mm-hmm. an established publisher, publish your work as opposed to me publishing. And that morphed into a business as well. Wow. Okay. Uh, so that sounds like a whole lot of stuff to juggle. Like, how did you, how did you manage that time? Time management, you know, at a, I would say that I I was not an expert at it, that oftentimes I found myself overwhelmed trying to juggle school, three, four different businesses 
you know, one thing morphed into another business and morphed into another business and another business. And I'm trying to juggle it all until I came across the notion of 86,400. And that's how many seconds are in a day. There are 86,400 seconds in a day. And mind you, in the school system, I was a curriculum writer, but I was also a trainer. And so part of the training was time management uh, and classroom management. And so I found myself trying to teach teachers how to cram 50 hours in a 24-hour day. And I was failing miserably at doing it. How can I expect anyone else to until I came across the notion of 86,400? And that, you know led me down a, a rabbit hole of research and it, it brought me to this thing called purpose. And I came up with something, a notion of, we need to stop managing our time and manage our mm. purpose. Because if you are managing your purpose, you have more than enough time to get everything that you need done in a day done. And I call that purpose management. That turned into a business as well. <laughs> Yeah, right. And so um, how was I able to juggle it in the beginning? Huge failures uh, somewhere in the middle. Uh, I found that notion of purpose and everything started falling into place for me. Business wise, uh, personal wise, everything started falling into business because I started falling into place because I started managing my purpose. And to this day, when I talk to people about the different businesses and the various things that I'm involved in, oftentimes people will say, oh, you can't, how do you do all of that? It's so much. And for me, it's not. As long as it's falling within my purpose, I've got more than enough time to do everything that I need to do. Now, when I get outside of purpose, things go out of whack and I find myself, oh, I'm juggling. Oh, I'm doing this. I'm not really supposed to be doing this. It's not falling in my purpose. I'm wasting time, my time, people's time. I need to get back in purpose. And so that's how I check myself and bring myself back into purpose. And then I have more than enough time to do all of the things that I need. Yeah. 86,400. You bought the numbers with you too. I like it. <laughs> ah, that's right. That's right. 86,400. That's, that's God's gift to us. We all have the same 86,400 seconds in a day. When you talked about that, it reminded me of this training I went through at church called Unique. And I've talked about it multiple times on my show because that's how I that's how I started the show. And that's how I approach the things that I do from here on out. It is it's, it's about purpose. Like so what are my areas of of expertise? What are my areas of giftedness? Like we talked about earlier with you and business and of course with teaching as well. And so it's kind of like if it doesn't fall within that that vein of things then it's outside of what I need to do, right? I'm not going to go and try mm -hmm. to be a, a mathematician, right? That's 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 outside of my purpose. That ain't my lane. So, kind of figuring out where your your areas of gifted giftedness is is so important because it'll keep you within your purpose, and now you can continue to work at the things that you should be working at. Man, those mm -hmm. things exactly. Place. Okay, so you did bring up your little brother, and you brought up uh, my, my boy Tyrone. I'm just going to call him that. Uh, mm -hmm. And you also you brought up the, the first set of books, and that's going to lead us into our second number. Uh, so the book that kind of brought you to me by way of uh, a friend, I guess we would call him, uh, is an eight-year-old boy mm -hmm. with dreams of being an engineer when he grows up. And his name is Jalen. He's a natural problem solver who likes mm -hmm. taking things apart and figuring out how they work. This person has uh, catapulted you into the next, I guess, round of books that you have created after Roopster. So whenever I have somebody on that creates, right, whether it's writing books or painting or whatever, it doesn't re even really matter. I like to hear about the creative process. Like how do they come up with those book ideas and then writing them, illustrating, putting them together, you know, what comes out first, second. So how does your creative process work as far as getting ideas for your books and then putting that book together until it's finished? Hmm. I I never set out and I didn't 
set out to say, I'm going to sit down with a blank piece of paper and I'm going to create this character called Jalen. I wasn't looking for Jalen. Jalen wasn't looking <laughs> for me. <laughs> it, it, uh, it came about organically. As a publisher, I'm a story hunter and a storyteller. And I, first and foremost, I'm looking for writers and I'm looking for authors to write certain books. And so in the process of creating this line of biographies uh, that I found myself wanting to do, I was looking for something to do in the fiction arena for kids. You know, my last fiction book was Roops to Rue. I've since written tons of fiction books for kids that are on the shelf because I've been so busy over the last, I don't know, 15 years publishing other people's books. But I come up with ideas for books. I will write either a overview, a synopsis, and I'll put it in a place and I'll come back to it at some point. Well, I was looking for something to do in the fiction area to complement the nonfiction books that I did on Harry Belafonte and the Beyonce book. And I did not have any ideas. And of course, I have wonderful discussions with my husband all the time because he's an avid reader. He reads, 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 reads. But he's also an engineer. And he's often sharing all of the different things that happen um, at his office around engineering. And he's very passionate about engineering. He shares with me, particularly in our culture, African-Americans, there's not many that are pursuing the engineering space. And he's an advocate, uh, even recruiting, and he's not a recruiter, he's an engineer, but even advocating for our African-American engineers and trying to get more of them. And so that's how the, the Jalen character came about. I was thinking of him and because we have a, a, a shortage or a need in our community to expose our, our young children at an early age about these possibilities in engineering. And you know, there's lots of books and, and things on doctors and nurses and firemen and police. Mm -hmm. And we hear the word engineering, but often people don't understand exactly what they do. And I have that discussion because to this day, I still don't understand exactly what an electrical engineer does. And that there, there comes the problem solving or the, the, the what of it all. I explored the what, just what is it? And what would it take for us to expose our young ones to a career in it or adjacent to it. And that's STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. And so I said, well, I want to formulate this around a young kid. And through his POV, his point of, of view, how he is, aspires to be an engineer, right? And so when you're creating a book, something that's brand new, a character that no one's ever heard of, I knew what my mission was or is, and that is to drop these nuggets for little kids to pick up to inspire them in this area. But how do I do this? Okay, I do it in a book. How do I get people interested in the book? Well, let's launch Jalen in a holiday, right? So Juneteenth. So even though it's a book about a young boy, and we often call him Jalen Future Engineer, the book debuts or the series debuts with him learning about Juneteenth, which is far from engineering. But through the course of the story, you, you get to see that he really wants to be an engineer. We drop nuggets with the illustrations because you'll see on his wall, his favorite person, it's, it's not a basketball player, it's not a singer, it's Elijah McCoy, a famous engineer. You see his little engineering books, you see in the story we talked about, he likes to take things apart. But we're telling this around an event, Juneteenth. And so we are, through his POV, he's learning about Juneteenth for the first time, but he's also learning about Zydeco music because, you know, I put a little bit of me and a little bit of my husband in this book. 
And even the names of the characters, I use people in, in the family. <laughs> I use their names for the mother, the father, and all of that kind of stuff. So people get, in my family get a, a, a treat out of uh, seeing a character name a- after them. So, um, so that's how it just it comes about with a base. What's my mission? And I'm being very intentional that this is a series that is meant to inspire kids in the STEM area. I'm not knocking them over the head with science and technology. It's uh, dropped through the stories. And that's how it uh, sort of come together. And uh, we hope to do hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Jalen books. So that's this is the first one, Jalen's Juneteenth Surprise. And the next book comes out in September, Jalen's Christmas Wish. Wow. Just to hear how you've kind of delicately placed these different pieces in there and say, well, we got this engineer, but it's not just about engineering. We're going to talk about that through the eyes of these different events. That is amazing. It kind of reminds me of like watching one of those YouTube videos where it talks about cinema. You know, it talks about storytelling and the setting and all that stuff. You know, we all go down those YouTube rabbit holes and different stuff. Right. I'm a big fan of movies. Yeah. So, yeah, I like to watch mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Do you ever go down those YouTube rabbit holes? I know you got some. I will start researching and I'll look up and it's two o'clock in the morning. When I uh, started writing the Harry Belafonte mm-hmm. book, you would think, so this is a book for, for children, zero to six, non-readers, meant to be read to them by their parents. And so you're limited in your vocabulary that you can choose in a, a book for age zero to six. You're limited in the number of words, thousand words or less. This book is around 900 and something words. But the research is just as intense as though I was writing a book for adults. And so I found myself at night going through many rabbit holes about Harry Belafonte. And I also found that there's so much that I did not know about him. And once I uh, discovered one thing that it made me go look at another thing and then go find this interview and, and, and I've got notes and, uh, you know, thick notes, you would think I'm doing a dissertation, but it's a children's book of about a thousand words. So yes, YouTube and Google and interviews and all of that. Uh, I go through all of that when I'm putting together a, a book for, you know, a children's book. And I'm just so glad I was able to do uh, the Harry book. I was very passionate about doing that, that book and doing biographies about people that we, we sort of know, but we really don't know mm. everything. You say you did one on Beyonce that's too, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's someone that is in the public eye, very, very popular. Uh, and you look at Harry, who has been in the public eye, but our kids, I don't think a lot of them really know what this man has done for us. And so I wanted to tell that story and I wanted to do it in a way that I'm, there are two roads here. There's the road of discovery and telling the story to the young kid, but there's also the road of telling the story to the young mother, father, or to the grandmother uh, as well. And so that's the purpose of the intentionality of doing a book for a zero to six-year-old because I'm getting the kids and I'm getting the parents. That's intentionality right there. Yeah, yeah. That's the purpose is we must never forget. Mm. And there's so many heroes that we don't know enough about and that we have not celebrated enough. And that, you know, generations and generations or we're losing a lot. And so part of my mission is to start telling those stories and not recycling the same stories, but we appreciate those heroes that we know so much about and that there's so many books on. We're going to continue to appreciate them, but there's room for so many others that have contributed. And I'm about telling those stories right now. 
So as far as book creation, because you also have uh, the Peppermint Club, which is something else that you're working on. So you've written these mm-hmm. different, very different kinds of books over multiple genres. How is the creative process different for writing, you know, Roopster versus Jalen versus uh, the biography versus what you're doing next? Well, they're they're different in how I have to sort of stay within the lines and different in certain instances where I can sort of color outside the line. So with Rootster, it is a make-believe world where he can have a skateboard that flies, the Rue Ripper. And I don't have to stay in to plausible reality. And, right. and I actually love that. I absolutely love making stuff up and making that world up and making the people up and what they do. So it's, it's different in, in writing a biography where you definitely have to be within the lines and everything is based on fact and truth. And how do you tell that in a compelling way? That for a kid, it's not like reading the encyclopedia, right? And so that is a little bit, you know, nonfiction. I'm not going to say it's hard, but for me, it's a little bit more challenging than writing a nonfiction book. And then there's Jalen, which to me is a hybrid in between a, a biography and a completely made-up world like Roosteroo, because you're, you're dealing with roosters and chickens. Biography, you're dealing with real people. Now, Jalen is in the middle because he's real. He's fashioned off of a young boy that lives in our universe. But then there's some, some things that we can take a little liberty with because he's, you know, he's a cartoon character. So there's some things that, <clears throat> that we can put in there that's based on on truths and reality, but we can go outside the lines a little bit. Do you have anything that's that stands out? I'm not gonna ask for a favorite, but I'm gonna say something where you go, I'm really proud of that work. Hmm. Well outside of the kid space I'm really proud of the work that I did with Mark Mariel. I just mm. love, love his book. I was a publisher and the editor of the Gumbo Coalition. And that is a book that is going to stand the test of time. Mm. He is a genius at networking and communicating. He's a uh, He has leadership skills that are above and beyond the average leader. So, and that book is reflective of what we need right now, and that is coalition building. That's consistent consist, uh, consensus building, team building, conflict resolution. And so I'm, I'm very proud of that book, and I'm proud of the fact that the book is about three years old now, and we've been doing a Gumbo University okay. for three years now. And yeah. it's sponsored by Resorts World, where... We have an application process where university students apply to be a part of the Gumbo Coalition. We do a 12-week course that Mark leads, and we have guest lecturers that teach the book uh, chapter by chapter. And we have a graduation at the end of the 12 weeks, and the participants receive a scholarship for completing the course. Wow. So that is uh, work that will stand the test of time. And our sponsor, Resorts World, has re-upped for a fourth year. So we're going to start that process in the fall uh, where we'll push that out to all of the universities and we'll choose uh, candidates for the next next year, 2024's Gumbo Coalition class. So that's a book and it's all stemmed from a book. So I'm very, very proud of that work. The onion continues to peel and the layers continue to blossom. And that's so 
you just have so many things. I could just ask a, a billion questions. Uh, what, well, what's one of the, what work do you consider was the funnest to create and then push out? The most fun, when you just enjoyed it. Ah, oh, gosh, that is like asking probably a, a parent, <laughs> what's your favorite job? <laughs> I would, I, I don't, mm, I would say 99.9% of all of the books that I've worked on have been That's fun. good. I've enjoyed the process, whether it's a book that I'm publishing whether it's a book that I'm the editor on or whether it's a book that I'm the, a ghostwriter on or a book that I've just written myself. I find ways to make it fun and it's really not having to find ways to make it fun. I really enjoy Roopster Roo. I, I, I am, I'm enjoying the rebirth of Roopster because we have a gas station convenience store based on the Roots to Roo books. We, we opened up the Roo September 29th in Chicago. Mm. And it's the first ever gas station convenience store in the world that is based on a book series. And it has a literacy corner. And it is blinged out with nothing but Roots to Roo windows. It's, it's, uh, it's just fantastic. And we are building, I think we're scheduled to do about four gas station convenience stores in Chicago. And then we're branching out into the world. My hope is that we'll have about four or 500 mm. of Roops to Roo literacy gas station convenience stores around the world. So that's fun. I mean, <laughs> you literally turn everything into a business that turns into a business that turns into a business. With purpose, of course. You know, you look at a gas station and you say, "Well, what I what I did is, it's a crazy idea that I've been having for years and never thought it would come to fruition." Everyone I talk to about it is like, "Oh yeah, Lavelle, it's one of your crazy ideas." Until I went to India, and I'm waiting for I missed the transport to the prime minister's dinner, and I met this man. And he missed the transport mm. too. And so we ended up becoming fast friends. And he asked me, what's a crazy idea that you have? Just something just out of the, you know, just crazy. I said, you know what? I would love to do a gas station convenience store based on a book that I've written and make it a literacy gas station with the characters and make it fun. And when you visit it, I would be able to disseminate information about phonemic awareness to parents. I want to put these gas stations in underserved mm -hmm. communities so that I can create a literacy program with the school systems that surround the gas station, Roops to Roos All-Star uh, Reading Club. And at the pumps, I would have phonemic awareness information where as you're pumping your gas and if you have children in the car, there's exercises that you can do right on the spot. And we have that right now. And this, 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 this young man said, I know just the people for you. I've got friends that own gas stations in Chicago, and I think they might like your idea. So after we left India, came back to the U.S., I went down to Chicago. I met Mohammed and Nassar. I pitched him on my idea. Nassar got it right away. He convinced Mohammed. And here we are today. We've opened the first one, and we're about to break ground on number two and number three. I mean, this easily moves into the next number, which is, and this is honestly going to continue this conversation into something I really wanted to ask because of all of the connections and all of the things that you've done. Uh, so our next number is not really a number. This this feels so like, I don't know, hood or country or whatever adjectives you want to use here. Our next number is a portion. <laughs> A portion of the proceeds from the Jalen's Juneteenth Surprise, the sales go directly to the National Urban League Youth Program. Boom. How you like that? Mm -hmm. So, Yes, I get it. <laughs> so you have your hands over the years, 
just in so many different areas. And it brought me to this question because you've worked with Cynthia Cooper, who's a, a Houston and an NBA legend. Friend. Yes, your best friend, Cynthia Cooper. I'm sure people want to mm-hmm. hear. AC mm-hmm. Green, who's obviously mm-hmm. an NBA legend. I'm a big hoops guy. So those names stuck out to me. Of course, Steve Harvey. I'm sure everyone's heard of that person, as well as Viola Davis, two titans in, industri- in the industry right now. Uh, Tillman Fertitta, you know, all of these Houston people uh, who are doing major, major <laughs> things. Why do you think these people want to connect to the work that you are doing? Because you you just talked about your friends over in India and you became fast friends. And now a business was born out of it that is going to help many, many, many people from years and years and years. Like your work is going to outlive you. For, for a very, very long time with books. And I'm, I'm rambling at this point, but I can't bang the drum enough. You've made so many great connections to put so much great work out. Why do you think people want to connect with you and work with you and do and help you do the things that you want to do? Hmm. That's a good question. Hmm. <laughs> I think for me, it always starts with the work and what the person I'm working with, what they're trying to accomplish or achieve, because I see myself as someone that purpose is to be of service to others. So I feel that I was given things at an early age. I did a lot at an early age. And so I got a lot of experience at an early age for just such a time as this, to be able to disseminate that information to people that you think that a lot of celebrities or well-known people, they have everything that they need and that they know everything. That's not, that's not, you know, true. Everybody needs someone. Everyone needs help. We're not, we're not on islands here. And I think that when I'm working on a project, that project is a first priority. It doesn't matter if I'm working on five projects at the same time. When I'm with you and I'm doing that project, you are the most important thing. And the project is the most important thing. And I like to pride myself in doing good work, doing great work, and not afraid to bump up against the system. If I'm doing, if I'm doing a book with you and I am the ghost on that book, the most important thing is the book, the content, and how you want the world, the reader, to receive that book. And it's not about me. We're in a world now where, to me, I find that a lot of people that ghost, it becomes sort of like your project and you're like almost the center of attention as well as the author. And I'm old school. It's the book, it's the author, and it's how that person wants to disseminate that information to the world. And that's what's most important. And I try and make sure that that happens, no matter what. So I think people like working with me uh, because <laughs> I, I just, I just, I come from, from a servant leadership perspective and position. I. I'm not going to deny that, you know, I am a leader, right? I'm not, um, I don't sort of sit behind and just let things happen. And so, but my leadership style is one of service. Mm-hmm. And anytime me, you're bringing that to the forefront and you're being of service to that person, then why wouldn't they want to work with you? you know? Hey, that's a mic drop. <laughs> that's a mic drop. I'm good at what I do. I serve the people. Why wouldn't they want to work with me? And the proof is in the pudding. 
I mean, I don't, I don't need it. There's, there's no ego in it for me at all. It, I hope it didn't come across that way. Uh, but it, for me, it's, it's really being of service for others. When I, and I heard a pastor say this and I've, I've been, I've adopted it ever since I heard it. And then that's what I do. It's like when you wake up and you put your feet on the floor, on the ground or wherever you might be, your first question is, who am I going to serve today? Who am I going to be of service to today? And at the end of the day, and if I've served one person, it's a good day, right? And I've, I've adopted that uh, from, a, from a pastor friend. And that's what I try and do. It's, it's, about, it's about the people. It's about others. And what happens is if you find that you put yourself in a position to be of service to others and to be the giver, it's always going to mm-hmm. come back. So many things come back. You don't all, I don't always have to be the one that gets the biggest slice of the pie. I don't have to, in a partnership, be the one that gets, you know, 50-50 or, you know, 60-40 or whatever. I can get 10%, right? You take it all. It'll come back. Mm. And so when you come with the lens of putting others first, you will start attracting people that put others first too. And imagine when you get a bunch of people that are all about peace and giving back. It's amazing what you can accomplish. Where do you feel like you found your confidence in what you do and who you are? Like what experience did you go? Okay, I think I'm pretty good at where I've been placed. The service that I give. This experience kind of helped me to, I guess, legitimize yourself to yourself, not for other people, but in your own mind. You're like, okay, I belong. I belong here. And I think that was somewhere around the 86 years, I say the 86,400 seconds when I discovered Mm -hmm. that and when I started searching and exploring, when I lost my father, that was a pivotal point in, in my life of reflection. and um just really getting deep about figuring things out. Why am I here? Who am I? Who do I want to mm. be? You know, I wrote mm. a poem back when I was, I think it was maybe sixth grade. It was, it was called uh, Stop the Merry-Go-Round. I got to get off. I got to get away and meditate in my hayloft. Who am I? Do I even want to know? Can I be trusted? Mm. <laughs> Can it be so? Mm. I can't remember. Wow. Yeah, but it's sixth like. Grade? I was. And, and, and but about sixth grade or so when I when I wrote that I can't remember the rest but I do have it written down somewhere. But about that time when I lost my father, I was going through things at home, meaning uh, papers and and things, and I found some of the things that I'd written when I was in religious class in the third grade and the fourth grade, and my thinking patterns and the the things that I was writing about and what I was saying to my mm. teachers. And that's when I really met myself. It was like, wow, this is who I've always been. This is who I am, right? The same thoughts and the processes that I've been sort of just going through life and doing and not really examining who I am, what I am, what I'm doing. When I started looking back to me as a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, I'm like, Gosh, I've been here all along. <laughs> I've been here all along. <laughs> uh, you know, this is who I am. Wow. I can't believe this person. Mm. <laughs> I can't believe that who I was or that pattern that I, that trajectory that I started at age six, seven, eight is really who I've become. And, um, you know, I'm just so thankful that I was able to, I guess for lack of a better word, find myself, be introduced to myself and understand who I am, why, why I'm here and what I'm supposed to do. So I don't know if that answers anything. <laughs> but I just say that I'm happy that I was able to meet myself before it was too late. <laughs> How would you describe that person? Right. 
can I can I start I you off with a word? Yes, go ahead, please. <laughs> fearless. Yeah, I would I would agree to that. Not afraid to mm. fail. Not afraid to start a process and not knowing if I am on the right path. And I'm not even going to say on a feeling, but if I have an idea, sometimes I'm determined to figure out a way to make mm. that work. So and I'm I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of being told no, because I've been told no. When I went to get my first book published, the publisher told me that, well, I don't think we're going to publish it. But he said, if you can go out and find a retailer that would buy your books, then we gonna we would publish it. Wait, what? So I'm thinking, and I'm dumb. And I'm thinking, okay, so if I go find a retailer that's going to buy my books, then you're going to publish it. So you know what I said? I said, okay, okay, cool. What I did is I did some cold calling to Walmart, found a guy named George. I pitched him my idea that I wanted to do. This is the Roopster, right? I wanted to do these books. I'm doing these books about Roopster and he's reading and he's sports and he's all these things. And I'm going to do a national literacy tour. And I want you guys to be the first one to have the opportunity <laughs> to put my books in your mm. store. <laughs> and he liked the idea of the tour. He invited me up to Bentonville, Arkansas. Mm. Back then, Walmart, it's still in what I call a school. I was able to just walk into the office. They didn't have much security back then to Glass, who was the uh, CEO. I met Tom Coglin. I met uh, Tim, uh, not Tim Scott. Uh, um, his last name is Scott. He later became the CEO. But Tom Coglin said, I like your idea, young lady. I like the idea that you're going to do something with the NBA. I tell you what, can you bring AC Green down here and uh, speak at the at my son's athletic banquet? And if you could do that, I think, you know, we could get your books and do all kinds of things mm. around that. And long story short, I was able to get in touch with AC. He signed on board, but I went back to that publisher because I did my research. And I'm like, you know what? Walmart is supporting me. They're willing to buy a whole bunch of books. You know what? I'm going to give you the privilege, not publishing my book, but I'm going I'm to license you mm. to publish my book. So I'm going to maintain all of my rights. And I'm going to make this sale. So you're going to give me my royalty. Plus, I'm acting as your salesperson. So you're going to kick in and give me a percentage of that sale up front. So I negotiated a pretty neat deal with them and went on to do the uh, the books and everything and do the tour and all that kind of good stuff. So, yeah, it had no clue on on how all of this was going to work, but I was determined to figure it out. And so here we are. Fearless Lavelle Lavette. Come on with it. Not all the time. You know, you get me in a dark room and say, boo, <laughs> watch out, because I'm running. <laughs> I'm running. <laughs> okay, we've come to the point where we have to do our three what's. We do these with every interview. I say we. I guess I'm meaning me and the listener interviewing you. So here we go. Mm -hmm. First of what, what's an opinion that you have that will be considered unpopular? Hmm. Uh, what's an opinion that would be considered unpopular? That's a very hard question because I try and be politically correct. Ooh. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like... Uh... You know, politically charged. It doesn't have to make people mad. Well, I guess it will if it's unpopular. But uh, it could be easy. You know, like LeBron is better than Michael Jordan. Like in the grand scheme of life, nobody uh, really cares that much. I hope. Uh huh. Hmm. I'm not so keen to traditional roles for uh, <laughs> that a woman is supposed to be in this box and. 
you know, she's supposed to do this and the man is supposed to do that. Uh, I think that there's room for uh, either or both and. You know, so I don't know how popular or unpopular that would be, but I'm, I'm just not so keen on traditional roles. Okay, we can go with that. That'll work. That'll work. I'm sure that'll light some mm-hmm. fires. <laughs> If you weren't, okay, I don't even know how to ask this question because you're in a ton of different stuff. So I've been using this kind of alternative. What's something Mm -hmm. that you want to do that you haven't done that's outside of things that you've done already? So not like writing a new book or something like, well, if it's in a totally different genre that you haven't done, that would be fine. But something that you want to do that you haven't done, that's just kind of on the horizon. I, I would, I would say, in retirement, when I stop publishing books, I don't think I ever stop writing. I think I'll just continue to write until it just um, can't write anymore, can't think anymore. But something that I've always wanted to do is be a travel writer, meaning travel to these exotic places. Mm-hmm and write about it, you know, just, just travel, I mean, get a suitcase and I'm off to wherever. I'd like to find these hidden places that people don't know about and to be able to write about it and expose it to the world. So, and that's where I come up with, you don't know me yet, people, places, and things that you need to know about. So I'm so Ooh. curious about so many things. And I'm curious about the world and the people, particularly people that have maintained their culture over centuries and centuries and centuries. And some of those people or um, cultures exist uh, on our universe, in our universe somewhere. And I'd like to find those people. Not exposed, but just uh, learn new things about about them and, and tell the world about them. That reminds me of somebody I had on my show. Her name was Jennifer Styles. She moved from, she was in Yemen. She had took a job over there as a newspaper uh, editor-in-chief. It's, it's a whole thing. Definitely go check that episode out. Uh, but she moved her and her husband, who was a part of the, not French government, the uh, UK or English government. They went to a country in mm-hmm. South America. I forget what country it is. And she found this history where they had Jewish refugees there that came from the Holocaust period of time. Like they fled to this country in South America. And so they had this whole community, in, in, you know, in base that they kept over, you know, years. And so she found it. I found. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, she, she found it and she she wrote about it. And so when you said that. That's what kind of that popped up in my mind. Like that there's these like pockets of, of communities and things that people have no idea about all over the world. And in America, we don't learn that kind of stuff about other countries. Like, you know, in Texas, you have like Texas history, you know, so we learn all about Texas, mm-hmm. right? We don't know the, you know, in Bolivia, they have their own, you know, national history and then local history like we will never know unless we go and search that stuff out and so you may be one of those people that's bringing that kind of information to us okay okay mm-hmm. okay miss miss levette yeah. right. <laughs> uh-huh. okay. okay last what what advice would you give someone in high school i like to make this segment for my kids and play it in, in my classroom so what would you tell those those kids there. So what advice would I give to high school kids mm-hmm. today? They could be anywhere from 14, just got into high school from middle school, or they could be 18 years old, about to graduate, going into college or the workforce. Hmm. 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 I would say, well, first off, be present. And it's sort of hard to, to, describe or tell a young person to be Mm. present. But I would like to put that in a psycho. 
Saiga, to, to be, try and be present and intentional. And I think the earlier that you start, the, the head of the game that you, you'll have later on. Don't sell yourself mm. short. There is, you're, you know, at, at that age, at that teenage age, your runway is, is, is vast. Vast. There's, there's, there's the, the, the possibilities you think don't shrink your world to your, your, your immediate surroundings. There's, there's so much out there in the world for you. So don't sell yourself short. Look at the possibilities of your long runway. And don't be afraid to take that chance on something that you believe in and do it. Take care of yourself, but look out for others as well. Boom. What better place to leave it? Of course, I can't let people go without you telling them where they can find you, where they can find your books, all the stuff that you offer. Plug it all. All right. Well, you can find me at onestreetbooks.com, all of the various books that uh, we are publishing. You can also find me at jaylen.com, and that's J-A-Y-Y-L-E-N, jaylen.com. There is a free teacher's guide, downloadable free teacher's guide and parent's guide a resource guide that goes along with the book, Jalen's Juneteenth Surprise. You can pick up Jalen's Juneteenth Surprise wherever books are sold. You can get it online at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, independent bookstores, um, anywhere that books are sold. So check out Jalen. There is more to come regarding Jalen. This is just the first book. Book number two comes out in September, Jalen's Christmas Wish. And I'm in the process mm -hmm. of writing number three. And so I don't have a date for release yet, but look for look for many, many Jalens. <laughs> Again, thank you, Lavelle, for coming on and sharing your expertise and your stories. They have been so fun. Uh, of course, I still have tons of questions. Uh, you've done a lot of stuff. Be proud of that and all of the things that you've done and the great stuff that you've put out in the world for people to experience for years and years and years after you and I leave this earth. Yeah, because that's what we want to do. We want to we want to make our mark. And yeah, I think mm -hmm. definitely doing this uh is 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 helping. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. Of course, me. of course. All righty. And of course, <laughs> I make sure y'all go check out the books, uh, Jalen's Juneteenth Surprise. Uh, go check out all of the other stuff that she's done, you know, Roopster, and she's published tons of stuff. It's not just the written stuff that she's done, but go check it out. Of course, follow me at the Living Numbers Podcast on TikTok mm -hmm. and Instagram. I also have a Facebook page if that's where you check stuff out. Uh, make sure you check out the link tree link in the description, it has all the stuff that I do. And uh, cops up merch. I will see you all in the next. <laughs>